Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Four Vaginas Only. In this podcast episode, we're going to talk about C-sections and the possibility of vaginal delivery after you've had a C-section. So let's get right to it and cue the music. Hello and welcome to Four Vaginas Only, the podcast about everything female. I'm your host, Dr. Celestine, bringing you important information about understanding your health and body in the way you wish your doctor would actually explain it. Welcome, welcome. This is episode number 16 of Four Vaginas Only. I am your host, Dr. Celestine. And on this episode, we are going to talk a little bit about C-sections, why they occur, and who is possibly a good candidate for a vaginal birth after a C-section. So let's just jump right into it. Okay, so what is a C-section? It's kind of funny because when I was in residency, we, and even now, obviously, I have to sign consent forms with patients before I do any type of procedure. And the consent form for a C-section describes it as an incision into the abdomen and removal of a baby, which is so simple. I mean, that is what it is, but it is really simple. I mean, a C-section is not just your basic C or a little procedure to deliver a baby. A C-section is a major surgery. We are going into your abdomen, through the skin, into your belly, and delivering a baby. So it's a major abdominal surgery. Too many people out there think of it very lightly, um, and I just wanted to put it out there in my own podcast that it is a major surgery. It takes a big recovery um, time, and it takes a lot out of you, um, at least more so than a normal vaginal delivery. But anyway, that's just my little tidbit on C-sections because I feel like not enough people understand that. But there are some instances where a C-section is warranted or needed or preferred. So, you know, if you do end up having a C-section for whatever reason, and even though it is a major surgery, even though it's harder to recover from, you know, sometimes it just needs to be done for the benefit of mom and or baby. So let's talk about the how many C-sections are done in the United States. So approximately... 32% of all deliveries are performed via C-section, which is a, a lot, I think. Um, it's, you know, it's been going up over the years and for multiple different reasons. And I found this little chart, which is interesting. It's a map of the United States, and it tells you the C-section rate actually in each state. So where I am in West Virginia, it's a little bit higher than the 32% average, and it's at 35.3% as of 2011. Actually, this chart's a little old, but I don't know if they've made a new one since then. If you are in New Jersey, the state of my heart, you are about 38.8%. New York is 34.7%. Florida, 37.8%. Um, California, 33%. You know, so majority of states, it's around 30 so that's why they got the average of about 32% of deliveries being performed via C-section. So, you know, why is that? A lot of people come in and they always say that, oh, you know, my mother, my sister, my friends have had a vaginal delivery. So, you know, I plan on having a vaginal delivery. They come in with their birth plan and they have a whole thing. But labor and delivery is not something that can be predicted. Um, I guess the way that I live my life when I'm running around on labor and delivery is expecting the best, but preparing for the worst. 
So I think it's great that people come in and they kind of have a plan of what they think is going to happen. Um, but I always try to make sure that they're realistic or at least that they understand that, you know, even the best laid plans don't go as we would like them to. So <clears throat> on that note as well, a lot of people feel or express to me feelings of failure because they weren't able to have a vaginal delivery um, for whatever reason. And that is just simply not the case. So let's talk about some reasons why a C-section <clears throat> is necessary and actually um, is more beneficial in cases of, you know, making the mother and the baby have a better outcome. So there are a lot of reasons why a C-section might occur. And there's no possible way for me to go through all of them in a podcast episode. And sometimes C-sections occur when you're not even expecting them. Um, I mean, it's great when it goes smoothly, but it doesn't always. And even though as an OBGYN and, you know, I'm still fairly new as an OBGYN um, attending only about two and a half years in, but there's still some things that I haven't experienced or that are unexpected to me. So you can imagine that somebody that comes in expecting to have a vaginal delivery without any other ideas of the possibilities of things that can happen, how it can sometimes throw them for a loop when you have to tell them that a C-section is the best route. So anyway, there are a few reasons why C-sections occur, um, but I will go through the top three reasons, the top three most common reasons. The very most common reason is arrest of labor. So that means that during the labor process, your cervix either stops dilating and doesn't get fully to 10 centimeters, despite what we try to do, or the baby's head is unable to come down far enough for a vaginal delivery. Sometimes the baby's head just is in the wrong position or the pelvis isn't the adequate shape or size and that prevents the baby from coming down to deliver vaginally. So those that's the top reason why... Um, people end up having C-sections. The second most common reason is some sort, of, some sort of abnormal fetal heart rate, which can allude to some to poor fetal well-being. Um, that's as best as I can say it, poor fetal well-being. There's a whole thing that goes into it. <laughs> but um, as a lot of people know, when you come to the hospital or even sometimes in the office, you get connected to a monitor, two straps on your belly. One is for the baby's heart rate and the other is for your contraction pattern. And in labor, sometimes even in natural labor or even in labor that we give medications to keep it going, um, no matter how you progress or maintain your labor, there can be decelerations or other abnormalities in the fetal heart rate tracing. We do the best that we can in order to try to resolve them um, and continue with the labor process. But sometimes, no matter what your physician or nurses may try the baby's heart rate just does not want to get right. So in order to prevent a bad outcome of the baby, a C-section is sometimes warranted. The third most common reason is malpresentation, as we call it. This basically means your baby's not head down. So a lot of people know that your baby needs to be head down in order to have a vaginal delivery. Let me back up. Needs, maybe not always the case. Um, there are some instances where you can deliver a breech baby vaginally, but that's definitely up to you and your physician to talk about. I mean, there's so many factors that go into that and the safety of that, 
that you definitely need to discuss with your own doctor that knows your history, not just some doctor on the podcast. <laughs> um, anyway, so malpresentation being the third most common reason. Um, a breech baby sometimes is like butt down or feet down or transverse in the belly, side to side. You know, these positions usually don't allow you to have a vaginal delivery, and then you end up getting scheduled for a C-section. So those are the top three. Um, keep in mind, there's many, many more, and there's many variations to even those top three, depending on each particular pregnancy. You know, every pregnancy is different. Even if you had a pregnancy, a first baby, you know, and your pregnancy went fine and you're expecting that in your second baby, it's not always the case. Literally every pregnancy, even in the same person is, is different than the others. So, you know, I'm glad that I do what I do. I'm glad that I've learned as much as I have and experienced as much as I have so that I can help moms along in this kind of unpredictable process. But it's just, you know, important to keep in mind that sometimes C-sections are warranted, all right? So you're not a failure if it happens to you. You're not a failure if you're mother, your sister, your friends all had vaginal deliveries and you're the only one with the C-section, that doesn't mean anything, you know? Um, so just keep that in mind. Anyway, moving right along. So depending on the individual circumstances, um, you know, you have to have that conversation with your physician in order to determine what is going to be the best route for you. But like I said, generally speaking, a C-section is harder on the body than having a vaginal delivery in terms of recovery. A C-section also has major risk because it's a major abdominal surgery. There's risks of injuring the bowel. There's risks of injuring the bladder. All these organs. It's funny because one time I had someone and I took pictures for a laparoscopic surgery and I showed her the inside of her abdomen, the uterus and everything. And even though I talked to her about the risk of injuring the bowel and the bladder and all of that and explain how close they are in the procedure, you don't really understand until you see it for yourself. So I remember her being so shocked when she saw exactly how close the bowel was to her uterus. I mean, the uterus is literally laying on top of your bowels. So, you know, those injuries can happen. And that's what makes a C-section a little bit more risky than a normal vaginal delivery. So um, also why a C-section is usually reserved only for cases in which the benefits outweigh the risks. Now, there's an old saying, once a C-section, always a C-section, darling. <laughs> I don't know about the darling part. I probably just added that. But anyway, these days, that saying is kind of put to rest with the option of having a vaginal birth after cesarean delivery, what we call a VBAC. Okay, so if you have had one or sometimes even two C-sections, um, now the two is really depending on physician policies and hospital policies, but if you've had one or two C-sections, there's a possibility that you can have the option of attempting a vaginal delivery. Now, the majority of the time, a VBAC um, is successful if your C-section was for a reason that was not necessarily going to recur in your current pregnancy, such as if you had a breech baby the first time and you had a deliver and you had a C-section, now you're coming in, your baby's head down, everything's going well, you might be a candidate for a VBAC. Also, if you've had the abnormal fetal heart tracing in your last pregnancy, that's not necessarily going to happen in all of your subsequent pregnancies. So maybe in the current or next pregnancy, you could be a candidate for a vaginal delivery after cesarean section. So 
If you fall into the category of women who can attempt to have a VBAC, it is a great alternative to a repeat section because of the decreased risk of maternal and fetal, um, or well, really maternal complications in future pregnancies, sometimes fetal as well. So keep in mind, though, that although a VBAC is appropriate for many women, it's important for your own physician to assess the likelihood of a successful VBAC by taking into account all of the factors in your pregnancy to determine if you're a good candidate. The reason for that and the reason why it's so important to pick good candidates is because if you go into the hospital and let's say you're a poor or so-so kind of candidate for a VBAC and we still plan on doing a VBAC and you go through the labor process but something happens where you need to end up having that repeat C-section anyway, there's actually a higher risk in that C-section than if you had just scheduled one from the jump and decided not to try to have a vaginal delivery, okay? So I don't want to scare people by saying that. You know, usually a physician can pick really good candidates. Sometimes, like I said, things are unpredictable and some things happen, but um, if you go in and the plan is that you have a high likelihood of having a vaginal delivery, I would say it's good to go with that plan because overall the benefits of a successful VBAC are tremendous. But um, if you're at your doctor's office and they're talking to you about the fact that you are a poor candidate for a VBAC, have that discussion with them, you know, go back and forth, questions and things like that so you can fully understand why that may be and also understand that, it, you know, it's not that we're dooming you to a C-section or trying to doom you to a C-section. We're just trying to make sure that you don't end up in that category of patients that have that repeat C-section anyway after going through a trial of trying to labor because of that increased risk to you and your baby, okay? So very important to have that in-depth discussion with your doctors, but the one thing about VBAC that, you know, would be wrong of me to not say in this podcast episode is that it is not without risk. So if you have had a C-section, um, incision to the abdomen and removal of a baby, we're also incising your uterus. The uterus is basically like a big ball of muscle, right? And we're cutting it and suturing it or sewing it back together, now, that area of muscle will never be the same. It's never going to be as strong as before we cut into it. It's always going to have that weakened area that was um, opened up in order to deliver your baby when you had the C-section. So there is a small risk of that same area opening back up, or what we call a uterus rupture, when you're trying to have a vaginal delivery and going through the labor process and have also had a prior C-section, okay? Does that make sense? That risk of uterine rupture is low. I mean, it can be very, very dangerous if it happens for you and your baby, but it is low. It's less than 1% of chance of it happening. So that's a pretty low number. And it's also important to keep in mind that the uterine rupture risk, um, even though it can be a catastrophic situation if it happens, it's still so low that it holds true that a successful vaginal delivery after C-section still has an overall lower rate of complications than a scheduled C-section. So if you had just went ahead with the C-section without trying labor, um, that C-section still has a higher risk than 
trying to have a vaginal delivery, even with that uterine rupture risk, okay? Sometimes I feel like I explain it and it doesn't really, you know, cross over that well, but I'm hoping that I'm explaining it well enough in this instance that you guys kind of catch my drift and understand. But if not, make sure that you clarify it with your own physician and talk about if a scheduled repeat C-section or a trial of uh, labor to lead to a vaginal delivery after C-section is right for you. Because, you know, as always, like I say here, not all women are candidates for any of the things that I've talked about. And even though some of the things might seem pretty clear-cut, like I mentioned earlier, nothing is ever as clear-cut as it seems. I just try to explain it in the best way possible for you guys so that you can um, talk about it with your doctor and see how it relates to your own personal situation. And that's the best that I can do. And I'm hoping that with a little bit of knowledge under your belt, that conversation goes really well and you feel like you understand more about why certain things are happening to you and your body and in this case your pregnancy and your child as well all right so that's it that's c-sections why they occur the possibility of having a vaginal delivery after a c-section and that's everything (laughs) so thank you guys for listening to another episode of four vaginas only as always, please do not forget to follow for at Four Vaginas Only on Instagram and also on Facebook. If you want to send me any messages, you could always DM me on Instagram. That's probably the social media outlet I check the most. And you can email me at C at fvonly.com to get in touch with me. All right, guys. So I hope you have a great day and I hope you learned a little bit. And um, we'll see you in episode 17. Bye.